I'll just reach out and I'll DM them from my personal account. Like, hey, I'm John. I'm the co-founder of MMAT Company. Uh, and then I'll just talk about some of the benefits of our company for fighters. Um, so for the fighters, right, they get a, a custom design, which most people have to pay a graphic designer for, right? They can come to us and we'll do all their designs for free, right? That's part, wow. part of the package of our sponsorship. Um, we build them an online store so they don't have to carry around that box of T-shirts anymore. You know, people can come right to our website. They can go to any fighter that we sponsor. And they can boom click on their shirts ships right to their house uh and then you know the biggest thing i think for fighters especially regionally is um getting paid right it's it's right. really hard to go through a fight camp still if have a full-time job if you're an amateur regional pro even guys in the ufc i mean like stipe right he's a firefighter right. um everybody's trying to make some cash and we're you know really focused on making the fighters top priority so we pay them more than we pay ourselves hey quick shout out to our primary sponsor for this episode it is peter harrett he's the author of the rings of hesron and here's an excerpt from his book check it out the steadily intensifying rumble echoed through the river valley pierce stared in that direction but the sound offered not a single clue to its source or the cause Lauren, his wife, and their three children joined him on the high bank, all searching the murky sky as one. A mixture of wonder and dread of the unknown filled their hearts. As it neared the ground, the sound grew exponentially, roaring, snapping, popping, and shaking the bones of the small group of onlookers. Then the low-hanging clouds started glowing, radiating yellow light on the snow-covered grasslands. To the family, it seemed as if the sun was falling to earth. They watched in horror as a fireball broke through the glowing clouds and streaked to the ground. As it struck, the object threw up a frightening plume of earth and snow, followed by a deafening boom. The concussion wave that followed sent them reeling. Their world shook violently, and snow fell from the trees around them as they struggled for balance. <laughs> Alex, uh, you're the owner of Philly Drinkers, Drinkers Promotions, and then you and John both together, founders of MMA Tea Company and much more. Thank you guys for your time, man. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. We're stoked to be here. Yeah, I like to go back with my shows. Have you ever seen that? Because I, I like to have that kind of real person connection. Like, where did you guys grow up and what was childhood like for you? Um, you know, for me, I grew up in a small coal region town, um, border of Schuylkill and Dauphin County in Pennsylvania. Um, not a whole lot to do there. No red lights, no um, stores. It was a big deal when the first Walmart came to town. A kid nice. I went to high school framed his receipt as the first person to get a, an item from Walmart. Um, so, so we had to uh, really find things to do to, you know, have fun and, and you know, uh, make, uh, make things up as we went pretty much. Um, went to a state school here in Pennsylvania, Shippensburg University. Uh, started majoring in math, dropped that major a month in after my first calculus exam. Right. Um, and then went into journalism. Um, okay. I was actually listening to uh, your podcast with the, the founder of Tap Out and he was talking about his childhood. And it made me realize for the first time that my mother has been an entrepreneur her entire life. And I didn't really put two and two together until today when I listened to that podcast. Um, she, when we were young, started her own daycare, had kids in and out of the house all the time. Um, when I was older, she went to school to be a beautician, started her own shop. Um, so I think after today, I realized that that's kind of where I get my entrepreneurial spirit is from my mom. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. What about you, Alex? 
Um, so I'm from, me and John are both from Pennsylvania. I'm from Middletown, Pennsylvania, okay. which is um, very, very close to the capital, Harrisburg. Um, and John and I are actually not, uh, we're not childhood friends. We did not grow up together. Um, we actually met in uh, 2013, uh, working for a minor league, minor league baseball team in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, independent, uh, the Lancaster Barnstormers. And so, nice. um, you know, I grew up actually as a traditional sports fan. So um, die hard base fan of baseball um basketball football of course not not too much into hockey but really just the the core four core three sports and it, it wasn't until I worked in baseball for six seven eight years and then you know we'll talk about John and I and how we met and, and how this whole concept came around and um yeah. but I have no background in combat sports boxing any of that um and it wasn't until I met John and, and we were able to kind of link together and now uh, I, I don't know if I'd say MMA is my favorite sport, but I, maybe I would say regional MMA is, is becoming my favorite sport now. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, baseball, I grew up playing baseball, huge fan of combat sports. I mean, I remember being a kid, like my dad having pay-per-view of Mike Tyson and things like that. And me and my cousin, like walking down to the VHS rental store as a kid. And we'd be like first, second grade renting like UFC one and two, man. And so like, yeah, yeah. that's kind of where it started for me back then, man. But and, and John, you kind of talked about this, but like, who was that person in your life that kind of pushed you to fight for your dreams for you guys? Um, for me, it was, I would say both of my parents. Um, it's not that they let me do whatever I wanted to do growing up, but they gave me a pretty wide net to cast and yeah. um, also let me fail a lot. So they would let me see like, you can fail at something and then push through and, and become better at it um, through sports, through school, through, you know, pretty much anything I was doing growing up. Uh, they kind of gave me that, um, that ability to see that if you do work hard and you persevere through things that, you know, good things come to people who are able to do that. Yeah. What about you, Alex? Yeah, Scott, I'll piggyback on that. It was definitely my mom. So my mom is, uh, is Italian, you know, uh, from Boston, Massachusetts. And it's that, that big Italian family. Um, and she's, you know, Sunday dinner, you know, every Sunday eating pasta growing up and we nice. didn't eat out a lot. It was home cooked meals all the time. And it's just one of those things where she, my parents were not overbearingly, my dad's not a sports fan at all. Um, and so they were supportive, but not in the overbearing, you know, you can do whatever you want you dream it and live it. Just, it was just more the, more of a casual we support whatever you want to do. If you want to go yeah. to college, go to college. If you don't want to go to college, don't go to college. You want to be a doctor, you want to be a lawyer. It doesn't matter. Whatever you want to do, um, just do it. So it was almost like more of a more of a casual support. Um, yeah. And and lucky for me, I figured it out. It wasn't. I probably didn't even realize that's what they were like until I was probably in my twenties. And that's and that's part of the reason why I didn't really even figure out my life until. Yeah you know, 25. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, me too, man. I mean, my, my passion is to get those fighters known and noticed online that I've come across and things like that. And with, what you guys are doing with MMA T company, I mean, you guys are working to sport fighters on the promotional and the financial side. Like how did MMA T company come together? How'd you guys meet and, and what's going on with it right now? Uh, so Alex and I met, I think, like he said, when we worked for the minor league baseball team here in Lancaster. So yeah. um, I was just starting out my amateur career like 2013 2014 uh, i've been training for a little while started training in college but then i started fighting just around the time alex and i met each other um and with fighting you know with as an amateur on the regional scale you're always hustling 
tickets and you're always hustling shirts if you can get somebody to print them. Um, so I think our first shirt that we actually worked on wasn't even mine. Um, it was Alex's shirt that he um, wore to his one of his strongman competitions. And we were both kind of like amateur graphic designers that didn't really know what they were doing. And I just image traced his face and put it on a t-shirt and we sold them. And that was like the first shirt for MMAT company, but it was seven years ago at this point. And we didn't have any kind of business model or any idea to work together on a business starting there. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah, it was uh, actually, so it was 2013. And if you want to get real technical, I think I was John's assistant at the time. Okay. He was, he was <laughs> he in was. charge of, yeah, he was in charge of the entire production um, at the baseball team. So anything that went up on the video board, anything that we scripted, he oversaw all the camera guys, did a lot of the graphic design, all the interns. And I was actually an intern that first year, um, helping him write the scripts, um, kind of like a PA, I guess, if you will. We didn't call it that, but that's what it is in, in sure. minor league baseball, like sports production. And um, I just remember John... And I didn't know much about the sport of MMA, especially at the regional level, right? Of course, I knew about it at the UFC level. And, and I just remember him getting ready for a fight and, and fights and cutting weight. And like he looked different because he was dropping all this weight. He was tired uh, from the weight cut. He was His diet was super strict. And don't forget, we were working in minor league baseball, which is like 80 hours a week during the summer. It's like, it's right. like the 6am to midnight type thing. And, and I remember he would have the tickets spread out on his desk. He'd be doing his full-time job and then he'd have a cardboard box full of t-shirts. And it's like, well, if I don't sell these, I have leftovers. It's like, this guy's paying me with uh, cash, this guy's PayPal. So it was just like this constant, so much going on. And to his point, I still compete a little bit, but at the time I was really getting into like um, strongman corporation, which is like, you know, guys pulling trucks, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I had qualified, it was a, a couple of years later for nationals for the first time at the amateur level. And we wanted to sell shirts to raise money. And I think um, I had a, a cousin at the time who had cancer and I wanted to raise money. So I thought, let's, this is a good way, let's sell shirts. And so he put a logo on a shirt. You know, I still paid for a big chunk of them and I probably still have some laying around because they never all sell and you get the sizes wrong. So that was our first taste of like, how, how can we sell merch? How can fighters sell merch? Who do fighters use? Are they taking orders and then collecting all this money and, and trying to figure it out and then paying a screen printer, right? It's that battle. Or are they just buying them in bulk and hoping they sell? And if they don't sell, they've got inventory that'll never sell. They've got a hundred smalls and they ran out of XLs. <laughs> so like going back to me and John meeting, it was just, we touched on it, right? We, we barely touched on his MMA shirts, my strongman shirts. And then almost 10 years later we, we I mean we've been friends the whole time but it was almost like should, remember this like should we should we try this again and that was like 2020 that we that we had that conversation again <laughs> man that's so cool dude I totally understand that like you know when top rated may started 2012 man we we came together my wife and I she came up with the name and we decided we were going to be 100% American made apparel and we were kind of you know like tap out was really big then and we we're like all right let's make this different and so you know we went out and we spent way too much money on screen printers. We over ordered way too many shirts, man, never sold any. Our first sponsored fighter was John Prince Albert, who was on the ultimate fighter way back in the day. Cause he was from the Seattle area where I was at. 
And I think his shirt was so like intricate and so many like designs and colors. I think we ended up selling it for like 35 bucks. Didn't even sell like, you know, right. Like we had no idea what we were doing. And I remember like people complaining like, man, why is this shirt so expensive? I'm like, dude, I got to make some money back because it yeah. cost me so dang much, man. And then I think we ended up like donating like 60 shirts to Hurricane Katrina, like people at the end of the day when I was like, all right, screw it, man. I'm, you know, cause I almost, I actually put top rate of May on a, on Craigslist and said, who wants to buy this logo, this brand in 2015, this guy called me up and he was going to offer me like three grand for it. And in that call, I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it, man. And then I restarted and restructured the, the podcast in 2017. And here we are today, man. Yeah. The, the apparel game is, I think, I think it's so easy from the outside and you obviously have lived it, right? It's like yeah. people think it is something and it's, it's something else. And it's, yeah. it can be one of a thousand things. And you're talking about trying to make money on the margins of the shirts because, you know, you're probably screen printing them and there might be seven colors and two locations and the fighters want this, they want the sleeves and the back. And now you're, you're paying 20 bucks a screen. And it's like, it's just this insane thing that to, to the normal person, like a t-shirt is, is a t-shirt, right? Right. And then when you really trace it back to like, where did the shirt come from? Where did the printing come from? Where did the ink come from? Who, who's distributing these things? It's a whole world that people have no idea about. And now I'm sure you still do it to this day. And John is just now starting to get there. You know, we're walking around in stores like, huh? Like, I wonder, like, I know, I know it has that logo on it, but I wonder who actually makes that. And then yep. they rip the tag off and print on the back. And I wonder if that's hundred percent cotton. No, check the label. And it's like, Oh, that company didn't, they didn't put the country of manufacturer. That's like, that's legal. They have to put that. So you just learn all this stuff. To yeah. the point where I'm at the grocery store and some someone walks by and I'm like, oh, that's a that's a Gildan sixty four thousand soft style uh, yeah. Heather Navy T shirt. It just becomes like your whole life. Yep. Oh, totally, man. I mean, I even bought the screen. I bought a screen print and I tried to put it in my office of my house at one point and realized very quickly that I didn't have the space for the you know to spray off the the screens and all that stuff. Man, sold that. I have a heat press now, so I do heat press just onesie, twosie shirts here and there. But, nice. you know, that whole process, man, is such a, like like you said, man, most people don't even realize how much work actually goes into making those shirts, man. You know? And, the, and the, the options that you have. I mean, you can right. heat press, you can screen print, you can direct a garment print, which is becoming like a really popular thing now, which, you know, we do a little bit of that. And it's just... Yeah it's so much work and, and you get to a point where it's like, well, I want to grow this brand, yeah. but I mean, think about how much work it takes just to screen print a hundred shirts. Sure. Oh, totally. Right. So it's like, so if I'm spending my time screen printing hundred shirts, who's, who's signing fighters, who's selling the shirts for us. Yeah. So, so it's the ultimate balance of what do we want to accomplish, which everyone has things they want to accomplish, right? That's the easy part. And then yeah. it's like, well, how do we actually make this work? What is, what is realistic for us? And that's right. what we've battled for, We've only been around a year, uh, so call it two years with ideas and brainstorming. Yeah. And every every day, it's like there's a new challenge, and then it's on us to to figure out a way to kind of overcome it. What's that process look like when you guys start working with a fighter, and how are how are you able to support them in, in what you guys do? So, I mean, the process has changed, I think, over the last year, but still at the same time has remained to its core. Me just reaching out to people. Okay. So I, I do a lot of research on fighters. I follow, you know, the regional scene, uh, you know, all the way up through to the national and, and worldwide stage. And if I see someone who, you know, I, I see them on Instagram most of the time, um, who I think that we would be a good match to work with, I'll just reach out and I'll DM them from my personal account. Like, hey, I'm John. I'm the co-founder of MMAT Company. Uh, and then I'll just talk about some of the benefits of our company for fighters. Um, so 
for the fighters, right? They get a, a custom design, which most people have to pay a graphic designer for, right? They can come to us and we'll do all their designs for free, right? That's part, wow. part of the package of our sponsorship. Um, we build them an online store so they don't have to carry around that box of t-shirts anymore. You know, people can come right to our website. They can go to any fighter that we sponsor and they can boom, click on their shirts, ships right to their house. Uh, and then, you know, the biggest thing I think for fighters, especially regionally is um, getting paid, right? It's, it's right. really hard to go through a fight camp, still if have a full-time job if you're an amateur regional pro, even guys in the UFC. I mean, like Stipe, right? He's a firefighter. Right. Um, everybody's trying to make some cash and we're, you know, really focused on making the fighters top priority. So we pay them more than we pay ourselves. Wow. Man. That's such a cool thing. I mean, that especially the amateur fighters that are up and coming and wanting to have their shirts out there and then not having to pay for that inventory and stuff like that, man. I love that you guys are able to do that. With COVID shutting down the majority of MMA fights in 2020, and they're really starting to just pick up. Like, how did that affect you guys? Did you guys see an increase or decrease in support at all? Uh, yeah, Alex, you want to run with that? <laughs> yeah, so it's it's a, it's a long-winded story, and we won't bore you with the details, but we uh, – we tossed this idea around and kind of built the concept of what this business model could look like, you know, in, in the five months prior to kind of our world getting shut down. Right. Um, and so we, we launched the company, I think officially, I don't know when we had it all legally, you know, set up, but as far as being public, it was like the first week of March. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, so we had this concept and we had some fighters in mind that we already had, I guess, unofficially signed, had conversations just from John's inner circle, right? He was technically our first sponsored fighter, but then outside of him, some of his training partners, um, friends from the gyms, and, and we kind of got this concept, you know, loosely built and got logos on the website. And it's always a work in progress, but especially then. And yeah. um, the goal at the time was actually really to, to work with fighters and figure out when is your next fight? Okay. Cause they're collecting sponsors. They're doing all that. They're going through camp. And then based on there, we would work backward, which we still do. Here's the fight, which means if, if we're guaranteeing all this apparel to your fans to, to be in their hands by fight night, when do we have to print them? Which means, do we give your fans a last call on this date? And then we do a, an interview and some promotional things, you know, whatever along the way, leading us all the way back to that first day, which is when we launch, which was different then, but now it's somewhere in that range of like, 10 to 12 days before their fight we launched the design and then it just trickles from there and you know hopefully two three days before a fight your shirt comes in the mail and, and you're ready to support whether you're going or watching it on fight pass or wherever but when we originally started this concept first of all we thought there'd be fights going all the time because we didn't know about covid and, and what its effects would be yeah. um and also i'll say at the time we i don't think we really had a plan to do john's podcast and to do a lot of interviews and uh we were doing the graphic design but i think the plan was really to just kind of figure out here's the design, here's how long we want to sell it, how are we going to promote it? And then when we realized, oh, there's not going to be any fights for a long time, even longer than we even thought. And so what we decided to do then was we kind of had to scrap that business model because the whole, the whole goal was to sell shirts for events. Well, now there's no events. So we tried to figure out a way, how do we print shirts and sell them with no events? And the easy answer might be, you know, run a campaign as soon as you hit two weeks, do a cutoff, you know, hopefully you sold 12 because then you can screen print them. And then, you know, it's the money kind of works. And then we realized, well, we actually kind of want to be in the volume game to start. Like how quickly can we get to 10 quality athletes and then 20 and then 30? And so that's when we really started to figure out that maybe heat press and or 
the direct to garment thing would work for us. Um, so that's what we started doing. We'd sign an athlete. I think Letitia Mole was our first one, a female fighter here out of Pennsylvania. And um, as people ordered the shirt, it would print one at a time and send out. And our margins are okay. They weren't great. We were using a third-party vendor to kind of fulfill on the back end. And uh, yeah, our margins weren't good, but we didn't care, right? The whole thing for us, and it still is, like, how do we grow this brand? How do we grow the footprint? How do we become a name that people recognize? And so that's kind of how we survived, our business survived COVID was let's, let's, let's see how, how the quality of fighters we can sign. Let's put together quality artwork. Then we built calendars out. Okay, you're going to do your interview this day. Your shirt gets released this day. Um, we'll do every Friday after your shirt gets released. We'll do a flash sale Friday. We'll do a, we'll do a tank top since you only have t-shirts in the store. So we kind of started building these little calendars out when we had 10 fighters or so. And, and, and the shirts sold because first of all, people were sitting at home anyway. So they just want to support. We sure. were able to kind of piggyback on the whole, you know, there's no events happening. Like, so how else can we support these fighters while they're not getting paychecks? Cause they're not able to sell tickets. And then as you know, that slowly developed into, Oh, fights are back, but no fans are allowed. So it's kind of that weird people can't buy tickets. So maybe they'll buy shirts to support, but on the flip side of that, are they less likely to buy a shirt? Cause they're not going to be there wearing the shirt. So we've all, so we've constantly battled this. And then from a business standpoint, it's like, our margins are bad. How do we, how do we get them better? Do we, yeah. do we buy our own DTG? Do we take it in-house and, and from, you know, so on and so forth. And then all the way up until the, the times we're living in now, which continue to improve hopefully. And that's where events are happening again. And this is actually where we're hopefully going to really thrive because now we can, we can build out these campaigns for fighters, which have been working well and screen print in bulk. And um, if it takes a week or a week and a half for a shirt to get to someone, the consumers don't care because it's all about as long as they have it for that fight. So right. we're actually, we're able in, in the world of Amazon where everything's two day and overnight shipping, we actually can, we can like jump over that. And, and those rules don't apply to us and no one cares because as long as they have it for the fight, everybody's happy, everyone's good. So, so we're able to survive in that. And, and from there, it's just been a constant, how do we develop this business model? How do we screen print on time? Who are we working with? Where are we doing our printing? And, and it's typical business stuff how every day we wake up, what, what went wrong? You know, we had this campaign, how do we improve? How do we make our margins better? How do we pay the fighters more? And from there, it's just been this, we have a set plan, but it's not so set that we refuse to adapt, which we've obviously had to do. Yeah. And what are those major goals for you guys in 2021? You know, where do you want to see this company go? I think, and we talked about this a little bit on an interview, I think ultimately without, without being too concrete. We want to have an entire 12 month span, which, you know, we're a couple months in now in 2021, where we are sponsoring, you know, we would love to have 10 events a month. That being, if we have a CFFC card, we want five guys on the card or four. We'd love to run 10 campaigns a month for a 12 month span. How, how many shirts can we sell, hoodies, tank tops? How, and more importantly, how much money can we pay out to these regional? And sometimes non-regional, because we have a couple of UFC guys now. How do we how do we make them as much money support their fight careers as much as we can? So I think in a perfect world, we go 12 months attending events, selling merch at events, sponsoring events, putting our banner in the cage, whatever we feel like we want to do to grow this brand. And I think if we can do that for a 12-month span, we'll be able to look back at the numbers that, you know, the money we've made, because we're a business, but also the money we've paid out to fighters. 
Um, the littler things or that still matter, the social media following, how have we grown? What's our engagement look like? So without setting any hard goals, we can do that consistently for 12 months. I think we're going to be really happy looking back and then maybe setting some, some things in place for like 2022. Love it, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I want to, uh, swift to uh, switch to some fun questions here real quick. I've got these things called pod decks. So this is random questions. I'm going to pull one out and hopefully it's not a flop for us. We'll, uh, we'll see how it goes here. All right. Uh, this is an interesting question. What's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Do you want to go first? No, go ahead. All right. Uh, it would be probably I tried a balut egg. You know what those are? What? Uh, is that a, that's not a, no, I guess I don't. So it's like a, I, so it is a fertilized, partially fertilized chicken or duck or quail egg. Yes. yes, yes, yes. And okay. I, I worked at a um, balut egg farm at the beginning of COVID just to make right. some extra money. Um, oh. Alex remembers that. I do. So yeah, the, the guys at the farm were, they're always, you know, heckling me and saying, you got to eat one. So, you know, I tried it. Not good. Did not eat the whole thing. <laughs> I don't know if I could do it, man. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, I, uh, it's probably not weird to a lot of people, but I don't know what your, I don't know what your demographics look like for this show, but I'm half Jewish. And so we eat fish, especially on Passover, which we just had. Yeah. And to someone who is not Jewish or not aligned and, and, and experienced with that, it's a kind of a gross, very gross, like it's like jelly, but it's fish. Okay. It's, it's pretty gross, but like, it's not gross to me because I've been eating my whole life, but a lot sure. of people would, the smell, the taste. It, it's very hated food. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I, I'm a music, a big music guy. So I'd love to ask the question, like what's a favorite band for you guys or what's a, a favorite type of music you like to listen to? Uh, I mean, favorite band for me um, right now, I listen to a lot of Volbeat. I uh, grew up listening to Breaking Benjamin, Chevelle, Three Days Grace. Um, that whole kind of era of rock music was what I really grew up listening to. But then uh, I also have, you know, Spotify and Apple podcast mixes of, you know, anything from uh, Luke Combs to, you know, Tyler Childers to um, Jay-Z and Kanye and, you know, Childish Gambino. And pretty much it spans the entire realm of music. But those nice. are like my three like genres, I would say. Yeah. 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 I think we're probably very aligned there. We grew up in the, I guess the 90s, early 2000s. So like the bands of that time where there was like the, the punk rock of your, your Blink-182s, your Green Days, yeah, uh, your Sum 41s, a little bit in there. And then rap. I mean, we grew up, I guess you could say we grew up listening to like Little Wayne and 50 Cent, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, and then I got married a couple of years ago. My wife's a big country fan. So I listen to country now too. And then um, dating back to when I was growing up, growing up, I've always just been like a classic, like I'm a, Be a big Beatles fan uh your your billy joel your elton johns so those are always there for me but then you know music's so situational right what are you doing totally what does it call for we're both i mean we both we're all athletes so you're training what do you listen to when you're training so there's just such a different um i feel bad for people that don't like every kind of music because you're missing out if you're if you're not if you're not i think 
Yep. I mean, I was a total metalhead in high school. So it was like corn, Rob Zombie, yeah. Lego Park, right? Like all yeah. that stuff. And then I got a job with Universal Records out of high school. And so like, they're like, dude, you got to go listen to this band and you got to like listen to these other CDs coming through. And so that I kind of opened my eyes to like hip hop and rap and more yeah. country and things like that. And, you know, uh, now I listen to everything, but I still go back to my roots, like Breaking Benjamin and Chevelle and all those guys. Totally. Man, that's totally. why I love to listen to those guys. I was actually at a concert one time with Chevelle. It was an outdoor arena and me and my cousin were sitting up on the grass and then down there, like where the cool people had this covered like seating area. Right. And it was the first concert at this new outdoor arena and they sold these lemonades with half lemons in the cup. And so me and my cousin are sitting in the grass and we're smoking a joint and getting totally stoned, man. And then somebody next to us decides to take one of these half lemons and chuck it into the seating area. And then someone down there is like, oh, fuck you. And they throw it back. And then it's like two, three minutes of just lemon, half lemons flying back and forth between the grass and the see the guys. And Chevelle is playing on stage. They're like, who's winning the war up there, man? It was like one of the wildest concerts I've been to, dude. It's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was pretty rad, dude. <laughs> that was back when you could go to rock concerts and still bump into people, right? Totally, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, people don't like that anymore. We went to Breaking Benjamin a little while ago. My wife and I did. And she was like trying to get people to bump into her and like not even start a mosh pitch, just jumping up and down. And she was getting dirty looks and she was like, rock concerts really changed. Right? Yeah, yeah dude. I chipped my tooth when I was 13 in a mosh pit. And every time I go to the dentist, like, do you want me to fix it? I'm like, hell no, man. That's my, that's my mosh pit, dude. That's it. Yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> you know, that was awesome, man. Alex, John, this was such a great show, man. Thanks for coming on and having an awesome conversation, man. I love what you guys are doing and supporting amateur and up and coming MMA fighters and all their like financially, man, that when they especially need you guys, man. So you guys are really changing the world, man. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm proud of you guys, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Awesome, Eric. Thank you so much for having us. I appreciate Thank it. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much yeah. for watching the show today. I appreciate it. If you could, please leave a rating and review on our Apple podcast. The link is down below. That helps us get our message out, get the show out, helps us get ranked out there on the Apple podcast. Also, leave a comment below, man. I'd love to know what part of the show made the most impact on you. I respond to every comment on there. And please share this video, whether you're watching on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, please share it out. We want to make sure that we impact as many people as we can with the guests that come on my show and highlight those guests and what they've got going on and they're changing the world. So thank you so much for the time. So appreciate it. Have an awesome day.